going from, you know, thinking I'm okay, thinking I'm just going to have concussion, be, you know, told to rest for a couple days to consenting for brain surgery and figuring that out was definitely terrifying. I was in full-blown shock. I would have stopped breathing within the next 12 to 24 hours. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado. I'm your host, Phil, a four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch of kind of sort of do remember. Here are a few words you don't hear often. My TBI was the best thing that ever happened to me, which very controversial words, I understand. That is Laura Renner of Denver. She's a nurse by trade, now an author and a podcaster by accident. When Laura slipped, fell, and hit her head, it all seemed minor, but it wasn't. The complications piled up, and so did the past trauma, the little things that she'd been burying for years until they got so big, they disrupted everything. No one really knows or understands what I'm going through. And that's, of course, you know, something unfortunately common with both TBIs and trauma. It, you could outwardly, in a lot of respects, you know, look okay. I say this with quotations, you could look okay, but you're not. And people don't understand that. She tells me today, more than two years later, this head injury cleared her vision, so to speak. And she now has a book titled, No, I'm Not Fine, Thank You, and a podcast, Healing No Filter. We met up with Laura in December 2023, just a few days before she got back to her day job, life on the neonatal ward. Welcome back to the BIAC podcast, TBI Talking Brain Injury. And today I am meeting up with Laura from down in Denver. And Laura, good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. Of course. And good to be meeting over Zoom. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't meet in person, but you're prepared for Zoom. You got a microphone, you got the headphones, you got like the, uh, the soundproofed room. You're a pro. You're, you're used to this. I try do, doing all the things. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a little bit before we get into TBI, um, your background with podcasting and, you know, being, uh, well, being on air. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. I had maybe listened to one podcast until my brain injury and I, you know, not being able to uh, have screens, watch TV, things like that, things that I was used to doing. I started listening to podcasts and I fell in love with them. You know, it's such a great way to learn about people, learn about topics um, in a really just kind of relatable way um, that's different than reading about them. And so I ended up actually starting my own podcast in August of this year called the Healing No Filter Podcast. And I've done quite a few um, podcast interviews about, um, I'm an author, so I talk about my book and I talk about, you know, my brain injury experience, because I think the more we kind of share our stories and hear other people's stories, we really just learn a lot about each other and about ourselves. Absolutely. 100% agree. It's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast and having the chance to talk to folks like yourself from every corner of Colorado, just the variety of experience, the variety of recovery, and also just the, um, well, the fun stories that people have to share, you know, all the cool stuff that they're doing, you know, that has nothing at all to do with brain injury. Um, like you kind of fallen in love with podcasts because, well, one thing led to the next and now here you are podcasting. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's been a fun journey. Um, I love talking. I love teaching. That's kind of my background. Um, it, as a nurse, I did a lot of education. And so I love kind of bringing different topics and the beauty of, you know, with today with zoom and things like that, we're able to connect with people from all over and share our stories and, and hear them, which is really especially awesome. Definitely. All right. So Laura, you, we got to start then right there at the top. Um, talk about brain injury and how uh, you're connected to it. What happened? So interestingly, this falls exactly two years ago this week, um, I had my TBI. So um, it was just an innocent fall. What happened was I was at the Christmas market downtown in a Civic Center Park. I was just with a group of friends and some of their kids. And I was 
spinning around playing with one of my friend's kids just stumbled I tripped backwards and fell really hard and landed in the back right area of my head and I remember the fall I as a nurse unfortunately this kind of served to my detriment in some respects um I did kind of my own neurological assessment on the spot and was like you know I know what happened head to very vascular I was you know my head was bleeding a fair amount but I was like I'm okay you know if it were serious I don't think I'd be okay right now which is false so what ended up happening was I went to bed that night normal uh and then woke up the next morning and the next morning so I hit in the back area behind my right ear and I had massive bruising underneath my left eye mostly and a little bit of my right eye and a ton of swelling on my face and I knew I was like this might be a skull fracture. And by might, I mean, it. I definitely knew, but I was definitely in some <laughs> level of denial. Yeah. Um. And I also had really significant nausea and vomiting. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it was adrenaline related because that just, you know, scared me. It was a lot, but I knew I deep down, I knew something was wrong, but I was really just in kind of a state of denial because I was still seemingly, you know, from a cognitive perspective, pretty okay. What, what ended up happening was I went to the hospital and, you know, it was kind of the same deal. The the doctors we were talking, I you know, from a neurological standpoint was looking pretty good. And so they were almost hesitant to give me a CT scan to look at my brain, but decided, you know, given the bruising, the vomiting, let's go ahead and do that. And I ended up with massive bleeds on multiple levels of my brain that were pushing my brain um, to the left and downwards towards my brainstem. And they said that I would have stopped breathing within the next 12 to 24 hours. So going from, you know, thinking I'm okay, thinking I'm just going to have concussion, be, you know, told to rest for a couple of days to consenting for brain surgery and figuring that out was definitely terrifying. I was in full-blown shock and I kind of just went into nursing mode because my background is I'm a neonatal intensive care unit nurse and I'm used to kind of high adrenaline intense situations. And so I thought, you know, okay, I, I can do this. It's okay. But I definitely had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, but was kind of just pushing that aside because everyone was, you know, really reassured by how well I was doing <clears throat> and the surgery went well. And, um, I stayed a couple of days in the ICU and it was seemingly okay for a while, but, that's when kind of the complications started happening. So um, I had a seizure. I ended up having a, this life-threatening medication reaction to a seizure medication called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which is super rare and can potentially kill you. So there was all that. And then really the worst of it all was I developed a new brain bleed because if you're someone who's had a TBI, you know, the, the most important thing to do is rest. And I thought I was resting, but I'm someone who really never rested. I went a million miles an hour all the time in my job, in my life. And so I thought I was resting, but I really, I wasn't. And I was pushing myself too hard. So I developed a new brain bleed and was facing another surgery. And so at that point, that's when everything really came to a hard stop in my life where I couldn't even do, you know, housework things uh, like walking um, dishes. I was completely reliant on anyone to do anything. I was basically just kind of laying there figuring out how to heal and what to do. And it was absolutely terrifying. And during this time, that's when all the, the deficits really kind of sunk in. So I really developed some significant speech issues, um, completely lost the ability to do math. Um, a lot of cognitive and executive fun executive functioning kind of went out the window. And during this time, all of my TBI symptoms just really ramped up. You know, I was 
previously having headaches, nausea, uh, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, things like that. But everything just really amplified. And it was, it was awful. It was, I, you know, it, it took me to a really low point in my life where I just kind of, unfortunately was wishing that I never went to the hospital and never had surgery and that I would have just died. And thankfully that somehow brought me to a wake up call of if I don't change my mindset about how I'm feeling and really focus on healing and being positive and knowing that I can get through this, then I'm not going to. And that just kind of set me down a completely different path and changed my life for the better. I was able to really focus on healing, really get into a really completely different mind state. Do And this also led me down a trauma healing path. Um, outside of just the TBI, I was able to explore that I had a lot of significant trauma in my life. So ultimately, this led me down a path that I would have never explored had it not been for the brain injury. And it has led to a lot of really positive outcomes for me. Laura, I'm taking a second to take it all in. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm sure you did too. So, so you're a nurse, like you said, you've got that medical background. At any point, did you ever in the TBI handbook come across, you know, this like string of events? Because it seems like one thing after the other, after the other, and, and things that couldn't even be expected, like, like the reaction to the Caesar medication, stuff that you just never expect when you take a little brain bump playing with some kids. You're exactly right. And so for me, I actually worked in the neonatal intensive care unit. So I my only familiarity was babies. So adults were very foreign to me. So this was really new territory, but um, I did have a couple of friends in the adult world. And when I shared my CT scan image with them, they were shocked I was alive, which was also similar to pretty much everyone, the doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, everyone I dealt with in the ICU. They were all just shocked that I was talking, shocked that I was um, conscious. And so it really just didn't sink in how bad it was. And especially with all these complications, it was just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing that I didn't really have time to process it. And really interestingly, you know, last year around this time and this year around this time, the processing and the grief and the shock of it all has really kind of come in a little harder. And it happened a lot last last December, but this year it's almost a little bit more intense. And I think that's because I wasn't, I was expecting this year to be a little easier to, to, you know, feel like, oh, it's more of a normal day or a normal week or not as significant, but I've definitely felt, you know, a significant, significant uptick in my anxiety. I'm just feeling a little sad, feeling, uh, physical symptoms like nausea, headaches, things that I experienced, migraines. It's really interesting how that all kind of circles back. And so it's, it's definitely something that has and will continue to impact me in different ways for a long time. And this is kind of a good reminder that I'm just kind of on this journey. The TBI really has been a part of me and what's happened to my story and also will continue to be a part of my story. Yeah, that recovery is continuous. And it's a phrase that we hear a lot with, you know, folks recovering from a lot of stuff, the new normal, that you got to make peace with that new normal, because what was before, it, it ain't going to be anymore. Um, and you got to like, yeah, you've, you've got to take that in, appreciate it. And, you know, find a way forward, like it sounds like you were able to do, I want to hear a little bit more about trauma healing. Because like you said, it wasn't just healing from TBI that this led you to. It was other things that this helped you with. So talk about that process. Absolutely. So, you know, I've been a, 
a child of anxiety and depression for the majority of my life. And so therapy is not new to me. So especially during my TBI recovery, I was, you know, I really ramped up, thankfully, the amount of therapy I was doing. And especially since I couldn't do much else, it it also worked out in that respect. But I was experiencing a lot of significant grief. And my therapist kept talking about trauma. And she kept, you know, talking about how traumatic my NICU nursing job was. And I had always kind of denied it. And she also, you know, would bring up how in the five years prior to my TBI, I had experienced um, other health problems, not as se- severe as the brain injury, but um, I had a lot of accidents and kind of spontaneous health injuries or injuries that impacted my health. And she would talk about those and it just never registered as trauma to me. And so when I was recovering from the TBI in you know the thick of it, really struggling with my mental health, my mindset, um, feeling like healing wasn't really possible, at times, I that's when I started going down the podcast route, actually, and audiobooks, and all of the things that I was looking at relating to, um, you know, shifting your mindset, believing you can heal, using the power of your mind in that respect, pretty much everything went back to trauma. And I was like, hang on, maybe there is more than, you know, what I think. And I also during this time was doing a lot of journaling because initially I used that as a way to test my short-term memory because that was something that I was struggling with. But I started using that in more of a therapeutic sense and writing about just what was happening to me and processing my emotions in the best way that I could. And um, through all that, I was able to connect more of the dots of things that had happened to me. I was like, hang on, I've actually experienced a lot of significant trauma in my adult and adult life and childhood. And so through all that, I just kind of took a deep dive into trauma healing. Um, I'm a big science nerd. So I did, I couldn't really read at this time, but I was doing as much, you know, audiobook and podcast exploration, just taking it all in audibly as much as I could about different modalities. And so I started exploring um, somatic therapies, like somatic experiencing. I started doing EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, um, craniosacral therapy, hypnotherapy, um, really just anything that I could access. And thankfully, you know, with today's age, you know, we can do a lot of different therapies virtually, which which helps. So I really just took a deep dive into trauma healing. And it was really profound because that was really the I thought I had the eye-opening experience of, oh, wow, I've recognized, you know, how negative my mindset is, how severe my anxiety is, I can move forward. But in actuality, there was so much more going on underneath the surface that I wasn't even aware of, let alone the people around me. You know, I was seemingly well-functioning. I had a good job. I was outwardly seemingly happy, you know, holding it all together societally, doing well. But I wasn't. I was deeply struggling. And I realized that the further I went down the trauma healing path, you know, just how much, not only how much it happened to me, but how much the things that had happened to me throughout my life, how much they impacted everything about my daily life, you know, my thoughts, my actions, um, how I was constantly, you know, needing to keep my mind occupied by doing things. I was incapable of sitting and resting. I was incapable of being alone. And when I had those moments of doing that, it was torture for me because it was so negative and so painful and almost like self-bullying thoughts. And so I was able to do just, you know, tremendous healing through that. And that just really just propelled me down this rabbit hole of this is something that I just want to keep doing moving forward, which ultimately led me to 
writing a book about my experience. So I wrote about how my TBI led me down this trauma healing path and all of the various trauma healing modalities that I explored in the hopes that, you know, this can help other people, you know, hopefully before they have a significant health issue or something like that, but just help people kind of find like a light at the end of the tunnel, because there were many moments along my journey that I didn't feel there was one. Yeah, the cumulative weight of so much of this stuff can really like bog people down and get them, um, well, get them stuck in wherever they happen to be, whether that's halfway to healed or not even close to healed or, you know, uh, thinking they're healed. Like you said, there were so many times that you were like, yeah, on the outside, I looked fine, felt fine. Great job. People were like, yeah, you're doing good. But really, that's that's not what it was. Um, What's the name of the book? So the book is called No, I'm Not Fine. Thank you. And it's my relentless uh, journey healing complex trauma. And so I talk a lot about complex trauma. So complex trauma is um, more of an umbrella term when it comes to PTSD. It's more complex PTSD. So it's not about just, you know, one single event impacting you. It's about cumulative events, kind of like you said, where it's, you know, they can call it big T trauma, which is, you know, really big traumatic events that you think of when you think of trauma or even little T traumas like um, bullying, like little incidences that may not impact some people in a significant way, but can really deeply impact other people. And especially when you combine all of those together, they lead to this slew of, you know, behavioral symptoms and just the way someone views themselves and their self-worth and really just can deeply impact them in a lot of significant ways. And that's something that's a much kind of newer field in psychology and in trauma treatment and getting a lot more recognition. And so I kind of wanted to also help aid in this awareness and talk about my story to kind of help get that out there as well. Yeah. Give people kind of a guidebook to, yeah, yeah. To self-healing. Cause it sounds like you took a lot of this stuff on yourself. That you, that you kind of fell down the rabbit hole of self-healing and kept finding all these new different things. And I, I think when I talk to, um, you know, this, this reminds me a lot of my new mentee, my new peer through the BIAG mentoring program. Um, you know, he's relatively new to brain injury. Uh, it was something that just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he brain tumor that was suddenly discovered. And like you, um, didn't think anything about it until they were told, all right, we got to get you into surgery now or you could die. Um, and so he is still like very fresh on his path to recovery and getting frustrated with all the things that he was able to do, but not able to do now. And, um, a lot of those feelings of just like, uh, um, why am I not as good as I used to be? And I think he's coming up up against the big wall of, you know what, maybe things weren't as good as I thought they were in the first place. Um, and I think, the the process of finding help for himself has just been exhausting. It's been one of those tough things where he's like, you know, I want to I want to help myself out, but I don't even know where to get started. Oh, and that's that's probably I, I think like the biggest hurdle for anyone, myself included. And for me, I've always been someone who I'm good if you tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and then I can just you know take that on and run with it. And during my TBI healing process, um, I really struggled because my healthcare team was not supportive and I don't, it wasn't in like a, you know, an intentional way. I think they just didn't recognize the severity of my symptoms. They were looking at me more from a seizure standpoint, as opposed to a traumatic injury standpoint. And so for me, I was pushed to go back to working in a neonatal intensive care unit as a charge nurse. Um, 
And about four months after my TBI, which at this point I wasn't even able to drive yet. I wasn't able to do math. I couldn't stay awake for more than like six hours at a time. And, you know, as someone in, in healthcare, you would think, oh, you must, you know, be able to advocate for yourself in a, in a great way. But I couldn't between, you know, the cognitive deficits I was experiencing, but also just coming from this place of always thinking, oh, the people around me who know what's happening have my back so I can just follow their lead. But they didn't. And what ended up happening was I was pushed back to work too early. I was able to advocate for myself in some respects in terms of, you know, limiting the frequency and the hours of shifts. Like I was, there was no chance that I was going to be close to doing a 12 hour shift. And frankly, most of the time I couldn't even survive a four hour mm -hmm. shift without migraines and vomiting and just significant symptoms taking over. And at this point I was in a very limited capacity. My unit was excellent. My manager and my coworkers were great at just being like, just help us in the way you can, but you're not expected to function as a nurse. But it was this really big back and forth. And that was just kind of this big whoa moment for me where I was like, wow, the people who should have my back, who, you know, should have a deeper understanding of this than me really aren't getting it and are putting me in a dangerous situation, which also at this point, I was also having pretty significant PTSD because the unit that I was working in had the same ICU alarms. And it was just, it was very overstimulating as, as the, the same alarms as the ICU that I was in. And that was when I realized, whoa, like I, I need to completely take control of the situation for myself because no one really knows or understands what I'm going through. And that's of course, you know, something unfortunately common with both TBIs and trauma. It's, it's, you could outwardly in a lot of respects, you know, look, okay. I say this with quotations, you could look okay, but you're not. And people don't understand that. And so that was a big moment where I was like, whoa, I have to fully take the reins here. And that's when I stepped away from nursing to fully focus on healing my brain, my body, and just from trauma, because I knew that I was, I was, I was really coming up against this wall, kind of like you said, where there was really no other option. It felt like at that point, other than to take this path. Are you back to nursing now? Funny you say that. I actually am starting next week on my old unit, which I'm very excited about. I had to leave. It was just, it was so traumatic, to be honest. I, you know, going back in a limited capacity, I was doing two, you know, four to six hour shifts a week, working basically as a nursing assistant. I basically just walked right in with my Therospecs, which are rose-colored glasses, you know, that help with light sensitivity. I had my noise-canceling earplugs. And I, I just, I couldn't do it. I wasn't able to physically function. I wasn't able to, you know, handle all the stimulation. And old Laura habits were just go a million miles an hour. Don't take breaks, help everybody, but yourself. And I just kept, my mind wanted to keep going back into those patterns. So I knew I had to step away and it was just like a gut punch. It was a very heart wrenching time for me. And I thought that I was done because I ended it in such a traumatic way for being in, in the Nikki world for nine years. But I finally reached the point a couple of months ago where I realized I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to be in this environment. I, from a, of course, from a brain in, a brain injury perspective, <clears throat> I've definitely healed a lot in that respect, but mostly from a trauma perspective, that was really what was, I think the, the main draw for why I really had to step away. And, and how long were you back before you stepped <clears throat> away, before you finally said, I've, I've got to take care of myself? So I tried about two months and it was in this really limited capacity, but, um, it was just too hard. And I, you know, 
while I was improving significantly in my speech therapy and my occupational therapy, I was in no position to be in that role. And it was really challenging for me because I thought that, you know, everyone should be able to see it. Like, look, it's, it's documented. I can't do math. I can't, you know, I'm sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. Like it should be documented and proven, you know, that I'm not able to do this, but, but still that somehow wasn't connecting the dots with the, you know, disability people and things like that. And so I just was like, I, I can't keep dealing with this anymore. I have to step away. And so that I tried that for about two months. So it will be almost exactly a year and a half from when I left um, in that limited capacity, but it'll be two years exactly just about from when I left uh, being able to function in that full role in, in, as a nurse in the NICU. Well, well, first things first, congrats on getting back to the job. Are you excited about it? Thank you. I am. You know, I I really, I, there's a lot of things I miss. Of course, there's a lot of big challenges with being a nurse and being in the NICU world, mm-hmm. but um I really miss the critical thinking elements. I miss my coworkers. I miss the babies. I just, I, I'm, I did that role for nine years. It was deeply ingrained in my identity. And so I'm looking forward to going back in a different capacity in a much limited capacity. I will, I'm not doing full-time. I'm doing basically the equivalent of one shift a week. So, and I'm going to have less responsibilities before I was functioning as a charge nurse. I was overdoing it, overcommitting myself. I had no work-life balance, no boundaries, things like that. So I'm excited to come back in a much healthier role where I'm able to do the job, enjoy the job, but also still not have that completely take over my essence and my identity and myself. Great. Coming back is a better, stronger, uh, Laura. I like to hear it. Absolutely. But a lot of this reminds me of, you know, another another storyline that I hear often with people that have uh, struggled with TBI and especially people that want to get back to work or, or maybe just, you know, uh, anywhere from, you know, two to five to 10 years out from their injury is that um, that feeling of, you know, the people that were close to you, like you said, the, the people in your unit, supportive great people to be working with, uh, people that you miss, that you want to go back and see. But it was just something about the people just beyond that, you know, maybe the folks that quite don't have a face, but still have some kind of say over what you can do and how you can do it or what your recovery is looking like. It's like, those are the ones that are the toughest to, um, not only make peace with, but sometimes work with, like you said, disability, that's one that I hear all the time. People just getting so frustrated with the process of, Hey, I've got medical documentation that my brain is not what it used to be, that I cannot function the way I used to. And yet you're telling me that I don't qualify for this or that I can't get any help on this, or I can't even get assistance with something. Um, and, and it's, it's just a common thread with a lot of people that I know that have had TBI is that those people surrounding you, the people, you know, family, friends, coworkers, um, they're great. It's those folks just beyond it that can make life so difficult and frustrating and sometimes make it feel like you're not going anywhere. You know, that, that being stuck in the muck feeling again. Uh, what did you find to help with those people? You know, the folks just outside your circle of close contacts. You know, I 1000% agree with you because frankly, that was the reason that I had to leave because I couldn't deal with them anymore. And, you know, them, I say very generally, because obviously there's people that work in the disability world who are supportive and really helpful, but I think there's also just a lot of lack of education. And in my case, you know, I had all the documentation. I had the support of my unit. It was exactly like you said, those people beyond. And I was, you know, having to prove multiple times a week every week 
for 10 weeks, you know, and of course, you know, during the time when I was out, I had to do things as well. But when I came back to work, it was just this constant push from not my unit, not my hospital, but the disability group. Well, why can't you do more? Can you up your hours? It looks like you are, you know, you're getting better. Like things are improving. You should be able to pick up more hours. Can you pick up more shifts? Well, if you can't, you know, get back to being a full nurse on your unit, then like, we're going to have to consider you doing another job. And it was, it constantly left me in a state of, you know, panic and sobbing. And I actually wrote about this one experience in particular in my book that just straight up broke me. And that was the final straw where um, the person speaking on the phone with me had, I'm going to say zero sensitivity training, perhaps that's how it came across to me. She just, even though I was clearly having a, a very intense trauma response, I was having a panic attack, panic attack while on the phone with her. And she just kept pushing. Well, why can't you do more? Why can't you do more? And while I was telling her, you know, in these four, four hour shifts that I'm there, I'm having migraines where I'm having to sit, sit in a dark room and I can't stop vomiting. And she's still telling me, why can't you do more? And then I would bring up, you know, how I'm also having PTSD symptoms that if I need documentation from my therapist, like they can provide it. And she's like, yes, I'm going to need that. And it just felt like I was up against this, you know, just impasse where I was never, I felt like I was never going to be understood. I felt like I had like they thought I was lying I was interpreting everything that like they didn't believe me and that was something that I had felt through multiple times during just my healing process in general and I couldn't take it there was just this this one last time when I literally was in the midst of a panic attack onset by this call and I told her I had to get off the phone and I just sobbed and was hyperventilating and I was just like this is not something I can do so excuse me in that moment for me that was my final straw where I was like, I have to be done. But since then I've been able to really reflect a lot because I think for me, I really thought that I could handle a lot of this myself, which I absolutely could not. I just, even just purely from a cognitive and speech perspective, I was in no position to be managing my own, you know, care in this way and having to explain when I'm constantly struggling to search for words or even get words out I should not have been managing my own care. I should have, you know, sought more support. I should have tried to, you know, in hindsight, I say should have, but like it, in retrospect, had I done it again, I would have differently had utilized more support in managing, uh, dealing with the disability people. And outside of that, I'm not really sure because it's still something that, and, you know, unfortunately, I think there's those, you know, few single moments of situations where people have, you know, potentially taken advantage of a system. And so that is often the lens that is presented through by a lot of people working in these worlds. So they're trying to, you know, weed that out and things like that, which I fully can understand, but it just felt like I was getting zero support and I was doing my best to keep my head above water at, at like on its own. And so the thought of having to spend, you know, just forever, potentially weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, multiple times a week, multiple times a week, excuse me, um, proving why I'm not able to be a nurse when that was something that I was really deeply struggling with from a trauma perspective as well. Like it was the thought of never being able to do that again was eating me alive. And I was doing a lot of intense therapy around it. So for me, it just, it just felt like it was something I had to cut ties with, which I know is not an option for everyone else. So I, long-winded answer to basically say, I'm not really sure the best way to do that. But I think really just 
seeking out support from other people who can also aid in helping you in those situations is, is key because I thought I was able to manage it a lot myself. I was someone who was, you know, historically always very independent. So I thought I could still do this. I thought that I was functional enough in a lot of respects, but it's not about being functional enough. It's about doing, you know, advocating for yourself best and doing what's healthiest and best for you. And me being, you know, at the helm of trying to manage that was really not me being able to take the best care of myself. Yeah, I think we've all felt that too, um, is running into the 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 demon of process, that there's processes in place and the people that uh, help make decisions, they got to follow that process. And uh, unfortunately, like you were saying, uh, one or two bad eggs are the reason those processes are there. 99.9% of us are not the bad eggs. We literally just want help. We need help and we are struggling to get it. But because a couple people could not, you know, we're trying to game the system. Um, now we're stuck with, you know, kind of mounds of bureaucracy. I mean, you know, reminds me of just like, um, um, space. And so here's my TBI showing right now space in the name of a, a book that I've read a lot, um, <laughs> where, you know, the, the, the bureaucrats are kind of running the, uh, the universe and, um, you can't get past the bureaucrats, those big ornery toads of bureaucrats because, well, yeah, they're there. And, and yeah, yeah. And that's why I asked you was, you know, if you found any way around it, because I really don't know if there is any way around it other than, like you said, taking charge of your own stuff and really just letting those folks around you, those ones who love you and really do care about you that, Hey, you know, um, this is, this is kind of what I need right now because almost without an exception, when you tell somebody that somebody who's close to you, um, they step up. Uh, they are right there to support you and show you that support that you need because, you know, they know that you would do the same thing if they were in your shoes. Um, my final one, you know, on this whole topic of, you know, how you kind of helped yourself through that toughest part was the other big faceless demon out there, um, financials. Because I know that, you know, the financial burdens are the other thing that a lot of folks say, well, I wish I could quit my job. I wish I could take some time for myself, but... I got a mortgage or I got kids or I got something going on that I can't step away from a job. Um, what were your, some strategies and solutions for that for you? Such a great question, because for me, I was very fortunate in that regard. So, um, I actually was able to sell my home and move in with my boyfriend and live off of that money for a long time, which obviously is a very unique situation. Not everyone can do that. And so unfortunately, a lot of people are fully reliant on, you know, disability and things like that. And I was fortunate enough to be able to fully cut those ties because that's what I needed to do for my mental and physical health. But that's not something everyone can do. And so for me, I have, you know, also in the interim found some kind of, you know, I don't know how to describe them other than odd jobs, but finding other things that have been fun for me. I worked in a boutique for a little while, part-time. Um, I've helped with this, you know, local food company, a little bit with holiday markets and things like that. Um, just doing different things to help get cash and whatnot, because yeah, it's, it's really hard. And that's been something that I've deeply struggled with. I, at many points felt I had to go back to nursing earlier than I could you know, from a uh, physical or psychological standpoint deal with. And it, and it just wrecked me. It just it took me into this deep depression and lots of panic attacks because I just was not at all ready for it. And thankfully I was still able to 
take some time and get some other support. But um, I'm getting back into nursing now when I'm ready, which I'm so grateful for, because had I forced myself to go back into it too early, I don't think I would have had any longevity. I would have had no chance for longevity because it would have been just as, you know, emotionally, physically, and mentally traumatic as it was when I left. But um, I think, you know, disability is great and awful at the same time because you kind of can become a prisoner to it because it's obviously it's it's so necessary and so finding those ways to you know utilize your resources through people that can um help you kind of navigate that territory in your life is huge because it is something that is very very profoundly needed for the majority of all of us and um so really just doing your best to take care of your mental health, especially during those times, because of course it's challenging. And I think that's the unfortunate piece, kind of like you said, it's it's something that you wouldn't ex- expect really to be such a challenge, but because of those couple instances, I'm sure of people, you know, taking advantage of the system as mm. they interpret, it's really made it a challenge for all of us. So I think just everything really that I've found throughout the entirety of my TBI healing process recovery and still up to now is just being really reliant on support systems and people in your life to help advocate for you and navigate those systems for you because oftentimes we're just not able to do that on our own. Yeah, that's the truth. And it's one thing that I love about, you know, uh, programs like BIAC and doing the mentor program is that, uh, you know, there's folks that have been through it too because um, every once in a while, you know, you do go to your family or friends or whoever for support and it's just hard to explain where you're at because maybe they don't get it or maybe they don't see it or, you know, that invisible injury thing comes up. Um, And so, you know, having, uh, you know, another brain injury survivor to uh, just kind of sit back, listen and tell you what's worked for them. Um, Yeah, that's a whole other new support system. Um, I finally came up with the name of the book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Good Lord. Yes, I remember that book. Yeah. Yeah, where, you know, bureaucrats are building an inner galaxy highway through your backyard because, hey, that's where we want to build it. So good luck telling us to stop, you little peon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think the most incredible thing, though, too, is that you wrote a book. You wrote a freaking book after having a head injury. Um, Tell me about the process of actually sitting down and writing a book because you had the content, but actually putting it to paper and making it happen. That's a whole other thing. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I loved writing as a kid. I was a big creative writer, but, um, I learned at a very young age or I interpreted at, at a very young age that, oh, this isn't, you know, a good career option. So I just kind of let it go and went down, you know, the science route. And so, during my TBI healing, journaling became very important for me. It was a huge outlet, a huge way to process. And so initially it started as kind of therapeutic writing. And I had had, you know, in the multitude of weird health problems and things that have happened over the last five years in the course of my life, so many people have just, you know, casually said, you should write a book, you know, so much has happened to you. And then with the brain injury, I was really like, you know, this, this really is content worthy for sure. And I also really just a lot of the books that I was listening to. And then once I was able to really start reading again, the books that I was reading, especially about trauma in particular are so dense and science heavy and go really specific into really hard to read topics, which, you know, of course there's utility for that, but also it can, it can make it really daunting and feel like a struggle to get through some of this stuff, which oftentimes it's, 
it's worth it, but you don't want it to be a painful experience. So I really felt like, wow, you know, I can write a story or I can write about my story in a way that is like conversational, how I speak to people, how I tell stories, how I tell, tell my stories just conversationally and do it in a way that it's more approachable and more relatable so that not only does it give people hope if they're, you know, in the depths of healing from a TBI or healing from any health issue, but also trauma healing. And so I go really deep into the experiences that I had, the revelations that I had, my experiences with therapy, good and bad. And I, I provide as many resources as I can to help other people. So initially the writing process, I kind of just dove right into it after I left um, being in the hospital in June of 2022. And I loved it at, at first. <laughs> I loved it at first. It was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, I was able to really get see why I loved writing in the past. And it was something that I just really hadn't done in that capacity in, you know, decades, but it's hard. It's really hard. Not only is it hard to just write and write well, but it's also really hard when you're writing about lived experiences and going into those deep, dark places. So there were a lot of times that I had to step away and take breaks, but overall it was a good experience. I self-published and worked with the self-publishing group. So I was able to really kind of fast track that timeline. So I published almost exactly a year later from when I started writing and it's been a really great experience through my book. I've been able to connect with, you know, not just people in my life on a deeper level about, you know, trauma and healing and, you know, negative mindset and self-talk and things like that. But strangers, I've had, you know, people message me on Instagram, you know, saying that my story really connected with them and how it helped them. And it's just really cool and really has made it all worth it knowing that, you know, my story can make a difference in someone else's life in a positive way. Yeah, that is so cool. And I've talked to some other authors who have done the exact same thing. One gentleman I had on the podcast, actually, he turned um, his experiences and in journaling uh, into poetry. Um, he wrote uh, oh, wow. he wrote a poem for his angel. Um, the, the angel that had been looking over his life. And I just, I, yeah, I love seeing the variety of um, expression that people come up with to, like you said, uh, well, kind of confront the trauma and go through the trauma. And sometimes writing the book itself can be trauma all over again, not just the process of writing, but going back through those, those events, those moments. Um, and you talked earlier about a, a low point, in your book, um, you know, you know, that point where you decided, Hey, I have got to quit my job because I'm just running into, you know, the, the, the lady on the phone that just <laughs> no sensitivity training. What about some high points in the book? Share a high point from the book. You know, uh, one of those, those soaring memories. You know, I think the, the highest, the highest of high points that I remember were when I was able to, so when I had to pause, you know, speech therapy and occupational therapy, because I had developed this new bleed and was potentially facing another craniotomy, the, that was the, one of the deepest lows. But then once I was cleared that that bleed had started to resolve and then I could resume speech therapy, OT, I could start walking in low levels again and kind of start progressing towards, you know, getting my life back in a lot of respects. That was amazing. You know, I'm someone who I've always been a very active person. And so being able to just go for a five minute walk outside in, you know, February, which may sound terrible to many people. That was just, I remember that day so vividly because I was like, yes, this is the start of things getting better. And in speech therapy and occupational therapy, watching myself go from, you know, 
having to, you know, in OT, having to sit down constantly or pause because I felt so nauseous and my balance was so challenged and I was experiencing vertigo and things like that to being able to, you know, progress in so many ways. And with speech, you know, not being able to do even, you know, adding coins together on a sheet of paper to being able to do more complex problems. It was, you know, I just seeing that objective evidence of of my progress was just so huge and seeing, wow, like, if I can really, you know, as someone who was always historically negative and thought the world was against me, everything's going wrong, nothing good happens to me, to being able to be like, no, I'm healing, I'm getting better, I'm getting my life back and being able to see it in action. That was so cool to just be able to just objectively and physically see that progress and see myself get better and just continue to get better and better. That was definitely a huge high point for me. I love it. And not just one high point, like you said, a couple of these collective high points, you know, the, the tiny little wins that you got, like, that's right. You couldn't do math for a minute. (laughs) <laughs> and, and getting back to being able to do those basic math all over again, um, feeling like a whole new you. Yeah. And, you know, being able to drive again, that was yeah. huge, you know, cause something that we all just take for granted, you know, Oh, like you can drive, it's fine. You can, if you want to go somewhere, just get in your car and go and not being able to do that, having to rely on other people, thank goodness for also Lyft and Uber and public transportation and things like that. But um, being able to drive again and gain that confidence too was huge. Just little thing. I feel like for me, a lot of the high points were just kind of looking back on those kind of more little moments that could easily be kind of brushed under the rug and forgotten about, but seeing just how much they really impact my life and impacted my life and watching them just get better and better has been super huge for me. Yeah. A lot of folks with TBI, myself included, you know, when you're in the thick of it, especially those early months, weeks, maybe even years, feels like so much has been taken away and it's never coming back. And to be perfectly um, painfully honest, some of that stuff doesn't come back. You know, I know some folks who still, they're not supposed to drive. And so they stick to it because, you know, seizure risk or, or, uh, narcolepsy risk or whatever they have. Um, but like you're saying, Laura, and I'll tell anybody else listening, you know, if you look back on those little wins, those little things that you are able to regain, um, I promise it will make the things that you lost not seem as intense. I'm never going to say that they're not as bad that they're, that you're not going to mourn the loss of those things at some point. Um, but if you, if you flip the script and focus on the things that you are able to bring back, you know, like you said, going for a walk outside. I remember that was one of my point high points when I was finally, cause I also had, um, Oh, I got injured in a snowboard accident was my first major, major injury. So I had broken arm, broken leg, hard to walk. Um, but the first day that I could go walk without those stupid crutches or a boot on, I remember that day very vividly because it snowed about a foot, but I was still committed <laughs> to going out and walking through the snow because I could finally. Um, and it was great. It wasn't a good walk. It was cold and wet, but it was still a walk without crutches, which was fantastic. It, yeah. See, yeah, it's good in those different respect, respects. I think, you know, with, with any injury and especially with a brain injury, you know, it really just kind of shifts it all, it all, it almost narrows and widens your lens of just perspective of everything. For me, I was able to see a lot more positives in small things. And I was also able to, you know, look more broadly at my life and the things that had happened and find positives. Whereas before I was just in this purely, you know, blinders on everything was negative and terrible state of mind. 
And of course, you know, there are still things that I struggle with. I struggle with migraines. I struggle with stimulation a lot. That's really challenging. I still have some, you know, vertigo-esque symptoms and things like that. But, and, you know, some other, there's a couple other things, but for me, I've been able to look at that, not as, wow, all those things were just completely taken away from me, but like, look how much I've been able to, you know, not just get them back, but get them back in a different way. And so I think it's, it's all just about, you know, changing your perspective, which I think, unfortunately, and fortunately, injuries and health problems and things like that can really do. Are you happy with new Laura with the path your life has taken, even if it was completely unexpected? I am, you know, I actually just did a post about how my TBI was the best thing that ever happened to me, which very controversial words, I understand. And I I mean it more in the broader sense of it really just opened up my eyes to how much pain I, I was living with and how much I was really just suffering on a daily basis, but burying it and repressing it. And so by, you know, going through this TBI experience and recovery and having that lead me, especially down the trauma healing path, it's just completely changed how I take care of myself, how I spend my time. Uh, the people that I surround myself with, the things that I do in a way that I think is completely for the better. And old Laura, if you had told, you know, November 2021, Laura, she was going to write a book about all of the deep, deepest, darkest stuff that had happened to her, I would have laughed. You know, there's no way I could have never imagined, you know, sharing, you know, through my book or through my podcast, the deep, dark, you know, depths of my mind and the things that had happened to me, but I'm now happy to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in such a different way that I never would have really saw coming. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. New Laura. I love it. <laughs> um, finally the podcast. Cause yeah, the, the, not only are you an author now, you're also a podcaster. Um, what's the topic of your podcast or what's the focus, uh, you know, theme. So it's called healing no filter and it's all just about, it's kind of, you know, similar, it's kind of built on my book. So it talks about, you know, my experience with different healing modalities and things I've learned along the way in terms of mindset shifting, especially, you know, when it comes to healing your mind and body, you know, from health problems, physical injury, things like that, but also just, you know, shifting your mind and using, you know, neuroscience hacks and things like that, but also just, you know, breaking down my experience and the science behind different trauma healing modalities and things like that. Like I just, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about somatic therapies. I've talked about, you know, meditation and EFT tapping and different things like that, that are free and accessible options that, you know, cause of course therapy is not always accessible or financially accessible. So finding different free tools, I've fallen in love with so many different free tools and modalities that I use on a daily basis, many times. Um, or often, I guess I should say, but there's just so many different things that you wouldn't have, you know, no idea about unless you really went down this rabbit hole of exploring this world. And so my goal is to just kind of give my relatable conversational approach, but also break things down in a way that makes it more um, approachable and easy to access and being able to individualize your healing process, whatever it is, and find the tools that best support you in doing that. Great stuff. Because I know that is one thing that I'm always looking for and a lot of other folks I know are looking for too, whether you've had TBI or not, because I'm sure is the focus of it, you know, for folks with brain injury, or is it just kind of anybody looking to, um, looking to trauma heal? It's, it's anybody. And it's not even just trauma healing. It's just, you know, a lot of my, it's a lot of more general focus on like, for me, 
one of my deepest struggles has been, or two of my deepest struggles have been anxiety and having a negative mindset. And so it's been a lot about, you know, exploring neuroscience ways to, you know, challenge and, and be curious and shift, you know, your thoughts and the impacts that that has. So it's really just intended for everybody. Um, most of my listeners, I think, are from just kind of a general curiosity standpoint. So it really just kind of, it's really for everybody and anybody looking to kind of learn a little bit more about healing in general, healing your mind and healing your body. Great stuff. And one more time, the name of the podcast. It's Healing No Filter. And how often are you doing episodes? Doing weekly. So another one should drop either tomorrow or Friday, but I'm doing them on a weekly basis. All right, cool. They're, they're quick. They're about like 15 minutes. I, I talk very fast. So I'm able to <laughs> kind of cram a lot of info in a short period of time. So if you like quick podcasts, this one is for you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had a friend of mine uh, once called those you know, fast food podcasts, um, which, yeah. you, you know, I, works for me because sometimes what you want is you just need to, you know, go in, um, I don't know, binge 15 minutes worth of podcasts for a while. Because uh, on occasion, I don't have the attention span for a full one, like, um, you know, a three hour podcast or something. So yeah, those little 15 minute ones are right up my alley. Yeah. You know, there's a time and a place for both. So it's really just kind of finding what works best for you. And so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, where can people find your book? So my book is available on Amazon. Um, and also on my website, my website is laurarenner.me, M-E, and there's a direct link to it there, but, um, working on getting it in some local bookstores, uh, but currently mostly just available on Amazon. All right. So if you're down in Denver, keep your eyes open for the book. Um, and one more time, the name of the book too. The book is No, I'm Not Fine. Thank you. All right. Well, Laura, really appreciate you making some time to come on our podcast, TBI Talking Brain Injury. Um, and really thank you for sharing your experience and what's worked for you and what can, you know, hopefully help some folks in the future too. Um, an insane journey that you've had in the past two years, two years. Thank you so much, Phil. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for also, you know, hosting this platform because this, I mean, I, I love this podcast and it's been really helpful for me and, you know, learning more about other people as a way to kind of help support myself in that way. Oh, well, thanks, Laura. Really appreciate it. And we'll be keeping on going for as long as we've got folks like uh, yourself and others in that community right here in Colorado. This has been TBI Talking Brain Injury from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado. 